0: Thank you, Jacob. Uh, I am honored to be here today. Uh, And I wanted to introduce, they're like way in the back. My mother is here, and my sister. Would y'all stand please? Okay. (laughs) My mom's skin tone is not the same as mine, because I am mixed. (laughs) And uh, I was with someone at the grocery store once, because they were sick, and my mother taught me to be kind. And so I'm like, let's get you some medicine. And I'm there, and I'm like, do you want like this? I'm like trying to give them something that is like good for them, or like uh, some sort of drink that would help. And so I'm like, do you want like coconut water? Like people drink this, and it like people healthy people like this? And he goes you are mixed. I (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. Didn't know that that is something exclusive to one type of person to drink coconut water. But I wanted to say that to all of my people who are mixed or biracial or whatever you would call it, Uh, That the Lord has said that every nation, every tribe will bow and uh, profess that he is God. And you have multiple nations inside of you already. And so I am very proud to be mixed. I like it a lot. So that's my mom (laughs) back there. Anyway, thank you. So my name is Elizabeth. And uh, I wanted to share about a really transformational season in my life. Um, If you're old, you've heard this message already because I preached it a while ago. Um, But I wanted to tell you my story. I really respect Paul in the Bible, and he says some things sometimes where he's like, I choose to preach nothing other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so for me, I don't have lofty words or whatever to say, but I do have the testimony of who Jesus is and what he has done. And so, I'll preach that as long as I can. So, um, I moved to Conway on July 31st of 2015. And I moved here after going to a Bible school um, because I knew that I wanted to serve the Lord in some way. I just didn't know how specifically. So, I go to college and I'm like, I still don't know what it looks like to serve the Lord whole, like, forever. Like, I just had a fear that I would get, um, and it was always over 40, that I would get over 40 and I would be, like, a bitter woman. And that just was something that would eat away at me because I don't think anyone, when they're 18 through 22, is like, you know what? When I'm 47, I think I'm just going to have a real big chip on my shoulder. You know, like, no one thinks that that's what their future is going to be, but you've seen that happen in people's lives. And so, I didn't think that I was above that. I had this, like, this fear that it would be me. So, my brother Andrew came to school here um, a while ago, and he was a soccer player, and he was discipled by CARP. And so, I would hear him talk about this man of, like, well, CARP, 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 CARP. I'm like, what is a CARP? I don't understand. Um but he would just say really positive things, and he'd be like, you know, I'm going on this missions trip. It's called Project. So, he goes overseas, and I just watched his life really from the outside. I didn't even fully know, but I watched his life change, and I watched his, like, desires change, what he wanted in life. Uh, It was just not the same guy that I knew when he left uh, home when he was 18, and so I just, so when I'm a senior, I just knew two things. Like, there's this guy named Carp. There's this thing called Chi Alpha, and there's a life that I've seen that is different. And so they do something there where lives are changed. And so I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna learn like how, like what is it? What does that look like? So I moved up here to do the internship. I knew nothing of it. I really my first Chi Alpha service was as an intern. Um, And it was a terrible year. (laughs) Very, very hard and heartbreaking. And it it just felt crushing because I just felt like who I was up until that point like disappeared and I felt like trapped inside of my own body. I felt like I couldn't speak, like I would offend people. Carp and I did not get along, I would say. I don't know what he would say. Uh, So leadership, we would clash. Uh, I couldn't, like, figure out what discipleship was. I'd be on campus, and I would try to have conversations with people, and it would not go well. And I just was convinced, like, I'm the one person that God cannot use. And so I was like, I can't stay here. Like, I have to leave. I'm just doing the wrong thing. Like, I'm just meant to be in a different type of ministry or just a different uh, job because this, like, God can't use me. Um, And they said, hey, we want you to stay and we want you to do a second year with us. And I was like, no, no, thank you. And they were like, no, 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 we really think that you should stay for a second year. And I just couldn't get, I just didn't want to. (laughs) Because to me, staying for another year was staying for a year of misery and failure. And I just didn't want to do that. There was nothing inside of me that was like, why would I say yes uh, to heartache But it was a season in my life where it was like, God, get me out of here. Like, I had friends and I had connections where I could go other places, but I just knew, like, I needed to listen to the Lord and not jump ahead of myself. And so I would just pray, like, God, have someone call me, like, get me out of Conway And he never did. And it was the first time in my life where what I wanted was not, it seemed, wasn't what God wanted. And I had this choice of, well, what am I going to do? Like, am I going to follow God? Will I obey him even if it doesn't make sense to me? Um, And I did. I stayed for a second year fully convinced. Like, okay, I'm going to do this, and it's going to be the worst thing ever, and I will be committed to that worst thing ever. So I stayed for the second year. And I come in um, to, like, a staff meeting. It's the first one, and I'm just, like, like ready to just embrace misery, which just sounds dark, but I promise it was okay. <laughs> and um, everything was different for me. Like, even, like, I just felt different on the inside. I, I mean, I stand not... I really feel like I'm a miracle, like inside of myself. I feel like a miracle. And I don't say that arrogantly. I say that like completely convinced that that's what's available for all people is that we talk about signs and wonders and miracles of the Lord, but we don't really ever think about that we ourselves, who we are and how we behave and operate, how we think can be drastically changed into something that Everything about the world would have pointed to us being something else. Um, So God creates us to be miracles. I felt like a miracle happened inside of me because I followed the Lord for a very long time. But my idea of following the Lord was... He doesn't, like, heal you from those things that you've walked with for a long time. Like, I can follow God, I can love God, and I can still be very angry, and I can still be, like, unbelieving, like, of healing. Like, oh, well, this is just the way that it's going to be. Um, And it was here that God changed that inside of me, and so... um, what happened like specifically was one day I was in a wolf pack, I was, which is a small group for small group leaders, and I was the intern, the second year intern in this uh, room with the girls, and Jen had asked us a question. She said, uh, who is the King Neb in your life, which is super weird. We talked about him last week. So the King Neb was, who is that person that you know, that you think it's like, 100% unlikely that they would follow God. Like, who's that person? And so we all go around and we're like, um, I don't know. I think it would be this one. And there were two PT students in this small group, and they both separately said, you know, I think, it honestly, there's this, this girl. Like, I could never really see her following the Lord. And so it was like, okay, now let's pray for these people. And so we prayed for these people, and we moved on. So then, fast forward a couple times later, so it's a couple weeks And the girls come in and they're like, guess who is coming to D group? We're like, who? They're like, that girl that we prayed for. And the whole room was like, oh my gosh. And we're like clapping and like super excited about it. And I'm like, I'm excited too. But there was this dialogue. Yeah, I was about to say, no, a monologue. No, I think it was with the Lord. There was a dialogue inside of me that was, why do I care? And I I, and I do care, but why do I care about this girl that we're praying for? That to this day I don't know her name. But I know that there were two girls who prayed for her to know God. And then two weeks later, they're like, she's coming to D group. And we're excited, not because we care, but because God cares. God wants her to come to this time and to like meet him. And we have faith. Like when we're excited, it's because we believe like she's going to encounter the Lord there. And her life can be changed and she can be healed and whole. And so that's what we're doing. And I'm like, that's big. And so I like, in my head, I'm like, Psalm 34, that like pops into my head. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what that is. But I turn to Psalm 34 um, and I'm reading it and I have stuff underlined, but I don't specifically remember that Psalm. Um, And I'm reading it in my head and Jen's like, what are you doing over there? And I'm like, well, I felt like the Lord told me about Psalm 34. So I'm reading it. She was like, well, what does it say? And I'm like, well, you know, it says this and this. I'm like reading the underlined things, the highlights And she's like, how about you read the whole thing? And I was like, "Uh, okay. And so I read the whole thing. And she's like, okay, read it again. But I want you to read it slower. And so I get to it and I take a deep breath. I have this, like, habit. I'm pretty sure I've talked about it before. Where if I feel like I need to invite the presence of the Lord in, I just will take a deep breath to just stop myself. To just breathe in. And in my head, it's like, Holy Spirit, I invite you, and I'll breathe out. So I breathe in. I go, I will bless the Lord at all times. And I start, like, weeping. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, I'm on verse 1, and I have to go through this whole thing. And I'm just crying reading Psalm 34, and every girl in the room is sympathy crying with me because that's what they do. (laughs) But I'm like, they don't understand what is happening inside of me. And I get to verse 4, and it says, it says I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears and those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall, shall, shall never be ashamed this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles and I'm like that that is inside of me now, because what was happening was that the Lord, all of the, like, the hurt that I had experienced, but there was a risk and obedience of, like, God wants me to stay in this place, and so I will stay in this place. Then all of the hurt that I had felt, it finally, like, came, like, it was like a light came on, and I understood what God was wanting from me, and I was like, it was me saying, This poor man cried, and you heard me, God. You answered me. You delivered me from every fear that I had. Like, I will look to you, and my face will be radiant. I will never be ashamed. And at the same time, I could hear the Lord almost speaking it over me of like, Hey, I heard you. I delivered you. I have made your face radiant. You don't have to be ashamed. And I just... Could I knew I'm forever changed. And so my life was changed in a moment because there was a revelation of God's love for me that began with a revelation of God's love for somebody else. And I believe that that is possible for all people, that you can experience a revelation of God's love if you will catch the revelation of His love for somebody else. And so... I have to come back here. Also, I lost my iPad, and so here I am with handwritten notes. So we're gonna read first John. (laughs) Into first John. I have this nerdy problem where I sniffle a lot. I wish I had a cooler issue, but it's fine. I'll be okay with it. Okay, John 4. First John 4 which is written by John, as you can imagine, um, who, James and John are these people, and they're called the Sons of Thunder, who I have now claimed that Lodge and Jaron, if you need to think about who are the Sons of Thunder, I think if you just imagined them, that's probably kind of what it was like. Two big dudes who were like really kind of quiet, but also like you don't want to cross them, like, but they're like following Jesus. That's what I imagine when I think of John. Um, and he's kind of like a gnarly dude, but by the end of his life, this is what he's written. By the end of it, and even if you read the Gospel of John, like it's very highlighting of love. And so we can see that this man, the more that he walked with Jesus, the more that he has talked about love. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that that's what you see when you walk, like, in closeness with the Lord. So, this is kind of what we're reading. Um, I'll read it here. I never know, like, read it here or there. Okay, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation, which means to be the one that paid for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I want you to know that if you if your love doesn't lead you to a place of passion and if your passion doesn't lead you then to a place of action then it isn't really love at all. Because I'll tell you this, this is something I worked on really hard. Like, how do I, like, sum up into all things what people need to take away today? Like, okay, I think this is it. So, I want you to write this down. God loves you. And when I moved here, again, I come from Bible school, and so it's like ministry all the time. And I used to be in the calf, and I remember Michael Quinn and Rebecca Hodges, which highlight, Michael, this might be his last Chi Alpha, without a child in the world. <laughs> How crazy is that? <laughs> We're going to watch it with one of those heavy baby carriers. I was like, how do they, like, I think you push out a baby and then you magically, like, gain strength because I'm strong, but then I'll, like, pick them up and, like, I can't, <laughs> like, I don't know. So, which you're already strong. That's more about Becca. But I'm really excited. They're having a baby. Anyway, um, uh, what was it? We're in the calf and Michael and Rebecca, they used to be like, hey. Like, I just want you to know that God loves you. And I would almost get embarrassed of what they were saying. And I never really could tell why do I feel like that. But it was because the phrase God loves you had almost become like, I'd become desensitized to it of like, it just was a numb thing to me of like, a right, right, right. God loves you. And I was like, don't say that to them. Like, they won't like it's not that I was like, it's not cool, but there was something about it that just didn't sit right. And I think it was because I had forgotten what the love of God was like. I'd forgotten, like, how deep the love of the Lord is for us. But the thing is, is it's not just a love that is for you. It's for the person that's behind you, if you would turn around and look at them. Anyone? Turn around. Turn around. God loves that person. Look ahead of you to the person in front of you. God loves that person. If you look to your left and to your right, God loves those people. Have you ever like accidentally like locked eyes with a stranger and you're like, (laughs) God loves that person a lot. Or like when you're walking down the street and your hand like brushes up against them, you're like, oh shoot, do I like acknowledge it? Do I move on? Like God really loves that person. Every single person that we come into contact with. There is a deep love from the Father for that person, and I promise you, if you would just ask the Lord, give me eyes to see that. I love going to the airport because I, I feel almost overwhelmed because there are so many people going to so many different places, and, and then some of them know the love of God, and some of them don't, and you just get to watch and kind of see, like, do they? Like, Do they love the Lord? Like, what do they know what God thinks of them? Where are they going? Like, are they going someplace where they will know how God thinks of them? And I believe we will, like, fundamentally change when we experience the overwhelming love of God that is for you and is also for you, someone else. So, because it's not really, like, what kind of God would love one person And I just, because sometimes we kind of operate like that. Well, no, God loves them, but he doesn't love me. Or we're the opposite. Well, God, like, loves me, but, and we never think outside of ourselves. So God loves you. There is this, uh, Carp says this a lot, and actually I don't even know if I can say it right. He always talks about the joy um, in having children Being the thing where you look at a baby and you see your features... And the features of the one that you love most in one child. And I really think that that's what discipleship is like as well. That you look at the people that you've discipled and you see your features in them and the features of the one that you love the most, which is God. And so you see this beautiful thing and I I feel like it grows. And in Psalm 27, which is the other psalm that changed my life, it says, um, I don't remember which verse it is, but it says like, one thing that I ask that I will seek after, which is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, like to inquire at his temple, to gaze upon his beauty. Um, Have you ever like been at someone's house and you just love being there so much that you like don't really want to leave? And you're like, man, like it's time for me to go home, but like I just don't really which maybe, I'm pretty sure that's what, like, is the worst thing about, like, being engaged or something. I feel like that's what engaged people always say. It's like, I'm just so excited to, like, never have to leave you. Like, I get to stay at home with you. Like, I don't have to be, like, good. I don't have to say good night ever again because we'll be in the same house. But I think that that is something that happens when you understand the love of God for you, too, is, like, I don't want to leave this place. Like I want to dwell in the house of the Lord every single day of my life. It's time for me to go, but I don't want to go because like this is where I like I feel home here. That is what is available to us. So my second point for you is do you love God? In 1 John 4, if you'd put that back up, um, in verse 11, it says this thing. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's this thing that it's like to love God because it's like, oh, my gosh, I've experienced this overwhelming love of the Lord. But now, like, what? Like, what do I do in return? Well, what you do in return, this is saying, is that you love one another, that you cannot love God and not love people. And you can't love people without the love of God. And you'll meet Christians all the time who are like, I just don't like people. I'm like, I don't think that's actually true of you. I think you do like people because you I know you love God, and so I know you also love people. Right? Maybe. Because <laughs> even in uh if you go earlier, I recommend that you read all of 1 John. Um, but in 1 John 3, it's like uh this is the message that you've heard from the very beginning. We should love one another. Like, we can't like murder our brother. And if you just read, like, left and right, like, before and after, First John 4, 20, it's like, if anyone says that I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not even seen. And that verse 12 was like, none of us have seen God. But if we would love one another, God abides like he's there. So none of us can see God, but when we operate in this loving one another life, people can see God around us. And so if I want to make God visible to the people who are around me, I have to love them deeply. Does that make sense? Sorry, I'm like trying to speak really quickly because I also forgot to start a timer. I don't know what time it is. So. If you want to know God more, if you want to increase in this knowledge of who is God, what has he done, you have to ask people their stories. I believe that the Lord has made this incredible thing called a testimony, but it's not just the thing where you stand in front of people and you're like, yeah, man, like this is who I once was and this is who I am now, that we're living a testimony every single day. Like when was the last time that you asked somebody what's going on in their life or like asked them like, how did you get here? Like what brought you to Conway? Why did you choose UCA? Or like did you ever imagine that this would be your life? Like I'm telling you, if you would know the stories of the people in this room... It would change the way that you think. It would um, increase your view of God. Like, we know what God has done in our lives, and sometimes we don't even really know that. But if we would step back and we would know what God has done in Lakin's life, what he's done in Hannah's life, if I would ask, like, God, like, let me know Asia. Let me know, like, the revelation that you've given her. Like, and it's not a selfish thing. It's a selfless thing. I'm, I think it would really change the way that we interact as a body. I challenge you to know the people who are in this room, know the people who are out of this room, because that's what Jesus would do if he was here, which he is here. There's a song. <laughs> I played it once, and Bailey was like, this sounds medieval, but it like will make me cry. I would play it for you guys if I didn't think you'd be distracted by it, because there's like a flute solo or something, and so it's like, But it says, um, Christ has no body um, now but yours. He has no hands, no feet on earth but yours. It's like yours are, um, I always do this wrong, yours are the eyes with which he sees, yours are the feet with which he walks, yours are the hands with which he touches all of the world, yours are the hands. And that song is convicting to me, like, he has chosen to no longer live in a body. He has chosen to live in your body, and that you are the one who walks around and is the hands and feet of Jesus. And so if you want to see Jesus move, you move. Anyway, so that was my life in 2017. This revelation of God loves me, and I love God. And there again, there was that fear inside of me of like, what if one day I no longer love the Lord like I do now? I don't have that fear anymore. I know that like wherever I go, God is with me. And really, it's I want to go wherever God goes. Like I don't care where he takes me. I just want to be near him. And I know like that this isn't just a... a phase, but this is the rest of forever. And so then, fast forward, here we are in like three years later, but the thing that I feel like God has shown me is that to stay in that place, you have to do, um, you have to embrace foolishness. We will look around. I think if you would just choose to no longer look at your own life, but to look up and to ask God, like, what are you doing um, in this person? Like, what are you doing in the people in my classes? Like, do they know you, Lord? If we would be vulnerable, if we would share our stories, if we would ask people to share their stories, if we would be people who are worth trusting with those stories, I think we would see uh, our communities change. And if we would embrace foolishness, what could stop us? you know if we would just embrace that so one time i was talking with matt carpenter it happens often um one thing that i'm grateful for is that uh i guess i'm raised to like just like embrace conflict <laughs> So, because what I am super grateful for is, like, I love Matt, everyone knows, because Matt fought for me. But Matt fought for me because, really, I fought him for a second. I didn't try to keep my distance. I was like, we're going to arm wrestle. I'm pretty sure I can meet Matt Carpenter, beat Matt Carpenter in an arm wrestle. And I didn't. The Lord won, ultimately. And that's why our friendship began is because we were fighting. Um, but in that, I now know, like, man, like, like, the Lord, it's really, like, I love the opportunity to to be a representation of Jesus to other people. And that's what I've seen in Carp's life, and that's what I hope to do for the rest of my life, is to be that representation. And so, Matt has shown me um, how Jesus fights for us all of the time. And so, I was talking to him about, like, You know, I feel like my old life is always trying to creep back. Like, I'm trying, I'm always feeling this pull into my old habits or my old ways of thinking. Like, I want to be angry. Like, I want to hold on to bitterness. Like, and we were talking about forgiveness, and I don't remember why, but it was about, like, forgiving people. Well, why don't you forgive them? And I was just, like, not having it for some reason and didn't want to forgive. Um, and I told him, I said, forgiveness is dumb. And then it's almost like, like, that's so Raven. I don't know if y'all know that, but there's this like, like, she always is like, and then she's off somewhere. I think that happened. I was like, forgiveness is dumb. And I was like, the, the Lord brought the word back to me that I had read, but I never had made sense to me. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 1 together. Which, so 1 Corinthians 1, but I have it in this crazy translation called the Passion. Um, So we're going to just kind of walk through it together, because I don't want us to not understand it. So, to preach the message of the cross seems like sheer nonsense to those who are on their way to destruction. But to us who are on our way to salvation, it is the mighty power of God released within us. For it is written... I will dismantle the wisdom of the wise, and I will invalidate the intelligence of the scholars. I will take people who on earth seem super smart, and I'm going to make what they talk about seem like it's dumb. It says, I will use the, I will use foolish things to shame the wise, and I will use weak things to shame the strong. So, where is the wise philosopher who understands? Where is the expert scholar who comprehends? And where is the skilled debater of our time who could win a debate with God? Hasn't God demonstrated that the wisdom of this world system is utter foolishness? That the way that the world works, it is foolishness. For in his wisdom, God designed that all the world's wisdom would be insufficient to lead people to the discovery of himself. The way that the world works, regardless of how wise it is, that is not going to be the thing that reveals God to other people. He took great delight in baffling the wisdom of the world by using the simplicity of preaching the story of the cross in order to save those who believe it. For the Jews constantly demand to see miraculous signs, while those who are not Jews constantly cling to the world's wisdom. But we preach the crucified Messiah. The Jews stumble over him, and the rest of the world sees him as foolishness. But for those who have been chosen to follow him, both Jews and Greek, he is God's mighty power, God's true wisdom, and our Messiah. And this is it. For the foolish things of God have proven to be wiser than human wisdom. Again, for the foolish things of God have proven to be wiser than human wisdom, and the feeble things of God have proven to be far more powerful than any human ability. When I said, man, forgiveness is dumb, because it is, why would I forgive someone who doesn't deserve it? Why would I forgive someone who hasn't asked for it? Well, because the foolish things are what lead us to freedom. So, I think it was finally like, oh my gosh, all of those things that Jesus preaches, like, those are the things that he's talking about here. Peace in the midst of chaos. That sounds foolish. Why do you have peace? You have money to raise. Well, I will embrace the foolish things because I know that God will take care of me. Humility. Why would I ever put someone else's needs before my own? That's foolish. Blessing your enemies. There's a a verse that says, uh, and bless those who curse you. Bless, not curse. That's foolish. The verse that says, lose your life and you will find it. And try to save your life, and you're going to lose it. Well, that sounds foolish. Why would I ever want to lose my life? But I promise you, the wisdom of the world that tells you you need to go out, and you need to get what's yours, you need to watch your back, and don't trust a single person, and maybe forgive one time, but, like, don't forgive after that. Like, don't trust people. Don't tell people what's going on inside of you. Don't smile because smiling is a sign of weakness. Don't love those who don't love you back. Like, that is what the world is telling us to do. But the word has said, I will take the foolish things of God, and that because he has told us to do those things. And he will show that those things are wiser than any human wisdom. One of my favorite passages is Philippians 2. I love Philippians. I feel like I, I just love Philippians. Not as much as Zoe does. He really loves Philippians too, as well. Philippians as well. Um, and honestly, the band could probably come back. <laughs> uh, Philippians 2 has this passage where it talks about um, Jesus and how he chose humility. And it says, Jesus, who was seated at the right hand of the Father, didn't count that as a right of his, and he humbled himself and became a servant. And he said that really, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it it goes on to say that he was then like, he's magnified and read it because the Bible says it better than I do, but he was magnified. Now he's he's seated again at the right hand of the Father, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Like, he is glorified, but Jesus didn't choose that road. He chose the road of serving, and he chose the road of humility. Would you call Jesus a fool? Would you say that Jesus is weak? I would never say that. I don't think that. And that was the path that God called him to. He will use foolish things to shame strong things or wise things of the world. And I believe if that's what we would do, if we would say, you know, like, I'm going to love people foolishly. I think that's how we never leave God's side. That's how we can know God loves us and know that we love him back as if I'm just like, you know what, but I'm going to stay in this place by being a fool for the Lord. And so I want you to know that there is a love that leads you to passion. And there is a love that will lead you then to action That it burns inside of us, and then we have to do something with it. We have to love others with it. And this love is Jesus, and he has placed that same love that's inside of you. And um, I want to take a moment to respond. This is how I want to respond. If there's someone in here that when I talk about uh, the love that God has for you, and when I say, like, man, he loves you so deeply, like, and, like, you're drowning in it because, like, this is the deep love of God. Like, when I speak of those things, if there's something inside of you that's like, no, that's not how God thinks about me. I don't know that love of God that you're talking about. Or maybe I once did know that love, but I don't know it anymore. Um, If that is you, I want to ask that you would stand. there's anyone here who when I speak of loving your brothers and loving one another and the question of, hey, do you love God? And if you're like, I don't really know if I do love God and I don't think my life matches that proclamation. um, If you feel like that, I would ask you stand too. you to go if you were one who said like I, I, I don't know if I love God because I don't think I live a life that proclaims that then I want to ask that you would go and that you would pray for someone else in this room that we would take a step in what we said of like I want to love my brothers and sisters better then I want you to go lay hands on them and pray that they would experience the love of God that they have forgotten or maybe never experienced before So we're going to take time and we're going to pray. And if you want to pray for someone and you're sitting down, like you can go and pray for them too. But I just want to invite you to move and we'll pray for each other. ask you guys about one more thing. We talked about um, that to love God and to love others means to embrace the foolishness. So if there are people in this room who um, have seen the foolish things of God and have been like, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to live a life of forgiveness. I don't want to live a life of peace or joy. Like uh, That stuff like is dumb to me. If you want to commit yourself to embracing the foolish things of the Lord, I would ask that you stand as well. Us to worship together because there's so much about worship that it's like, I don't want to do this because I don't want to look stupid, I don't want to raise my hands um, because it feels like a foolish thing to do to me. Um, And so I want this to be our first sign, not our only sign. I'm not saying that, okay, from now on, you got to be expressive in worship. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about an entire life that is dedicated to the ways of the Lord. But we will start by worshiping together in a freedom that is like, God, Like I want to give this to you. I trust you more than I trust my own thoughts. So I just want to invite you, God, I thank you for what you have done here tonight, Lord. I thank you that you first loved us, that we didn't love, or we can only love because God first loved us. And so I pray, Father, that we would see this love flow from this room, Lord, out into our entire campus and into our entire city. Lord, I believe that you are changing lives and we worship you, Lord, in response. Thank you, God. People come together, strange neighbors, our blood is one, children.